thank you, like always, for the living, dynamic Word of God. I thank you, O oh God, that your Word somehow, in some way, Father God, searches out our hearts. It reveals to us the great work you're doing in us. It reveals to us the areas of life that still need to be worked on, Father God. And your word always does it with grace and deep conviction, Father God. I thank you, Father God, for making us aware of just how awesome you are in preaching, in fellowship, in song. And uh, we bless you, O oh God. And, and teach us, God, today. Give us a glimpse of just how awesome you are in prayer. God, let us all evaluate our prayer life individually and corporately, Father God. Speak to us, Father God. Let this message not fall on deaf ears, Father God. I ask you by grace to open up our ears and open up our heart, Father God, and teach us to evaluate prayer, Father God, and the power of prayer, the necessity, necessity of prayer, and most of all, the privilege of prayer, Father God. So, God, we just ask you to open up our minds to understand the Scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen. As we, first of all, let me get my notes up. That would help. I'm having trouble on my iPad. Continued, watchful, thankful, overflowing prayer. Is that the title we have up there? Oh, we don't have the title up there. Did we have the title up there? Hey, there we are. Continued, watchful, thankful, overflowing prayer. Prayer. As Paul is coming to a close with a letter, he exhorts this church and its readers to pray. It would be inconsistent of Paul, it would be inconsistent of Jesus, it would be inconsistent of a pastor not to urge the congregation and other Christians to pray. It would be inconsistent. Matter of fact, we'd be doing a great injustice to the gospel ministry. We'd be doing a great injustice to your personal soul life. If as pastors, we didn't encourage men and women who call upon the name of the Lord to pray. And we're going to speak more about the content of prayer. But, but to pray, to commune with God on a daily basis as what Paul is more than suggesting here. This is not a suggestion. This is not a passive play. Uh, if you feel like praying, go for it. Do the best you can. But if not, we understand. We understand that the flesh, uh, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. So don't worry about it. We're going to give you a day off of, of prayer. No. Paul wants us to know firsthand the power of prayer the way he did it and the way Christ taught it. Power for individual life, but also power for corporate life. If I'm praying for my personal life and I'm really sincere about it and it's heartfelt devotion and prayer to God about, say, my marriage, I can rest assured that God's going to bless what? He is. There's no question. A husband praying for a marriage, a wife praying for a marriage, a husband and wife together praying for their marriage, a mother and father together praying for their children, that's prayer God hears. And you can rest assured God's going to do something. But how much more... Prayer for the congregation. How about congregational prayer? What would God do if he sees a congregation praying for the congregation? Is there any difference? Of course. God sees corporate prayer. He calls us to corporate prayer. He wants to see us, he wants us to see the value and the power 
of corporate prayer. How important that is. It's interesting, I've been speaking on this on uh, Thursday nights. Out of Matthew chapter 26, we had a leaders meeting on Monday and we spoke about prayer. And it just happens to be that this is the text I'm in today, not by design, or God's design. That we're in corporate prayer. And individual prayer too. But with that, I can tell you this, and for sure, that spiritual life will dry up and die. For a lack of wood, the fire goes out. You can rest assured, he who prays walks in the spirit. He who doesn't pray walks in the flesh. Have to. You just have to. Prayer is a dynamic we cannot do without. We shouldn't try to do without. It should be as natural as crying out as a child does for food. Prayer. And I think everybody in this room, if you're a Christian, I know you pray. You have to. You're Christians. The Holy Spirit's not passive. He's not sitting back saying, oh, I wish they would call on the name of Jesus. Uh, No, there's enough in life in this world that gets every believer to cry out in prayer. But there is something about corporate prayer that people can get very awkward about. Very, it's intimate, becomes personal. And, 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 and I'll tell you something, you really feel the presence in, in, in corporate prayer. Or even one-on-one prayer where two people are praying, you can really sense God. And, and, and it can be very awkward for some people. As I remember the first time I went to a prayer meeting. Come to a prayer meeting. I, I think I was saved three days. And I said, sure, well, God, I didn't know what a prayer meeting was. And I got there, there were six guys on their knees praying. I was like, this is weird. All right? This is just a little too weird for me. My prayer life was probably about five sentences, and that was about it. I was a young believer. I didn't realize there's a maturing growth in prayer. There's a dynamic. You grow. You get more seasoned. You have understanding about life, about God, about, about Scripture, and how to pray, and so on and so forth. But without it, I can tell you right now, spiritual life dries up and it dies. And I thank God that I got saved in a church that uh, prayer was a very strong dynamic of it. And the people I got saved around were uh, prayer warriors or intercessors, I'll call them. But I can tell you right now, if you don't know how to pray, you get around Christians that do. That's important. If you're not sure, get around someone that can pray. Get around Christians that can pray. Every church that's living for Christ is a praying church. But with, with prayer, it's spiritual life flourishes. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own personal life. I've seen it in the church's lives. I've seen it in this church's life. And I've seen it in individuals' lives. I see how prayer changes the human heart. Paul has already shown this in his own prayer life to this church. Let's listen to chapter 1, verse 3, when he says this. Paul says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. It's interesting, he shows us that prayer and praise and thanksgiving go together. He's, He's thinking of this congregation he's never saw. He's heard about them. It's not his ministry. It was another man's ministry. He heard about it. They were seeking out the apostles' advice on certain things. And he heard about what the Spirit of God was doing in this church. It was 1,100 miles away. And he heard about it. And he praised God for it. And, and when he went to prayer for this church, he, he actually had to stop for a moment and give thanksgiving that God was at work amongst the people that he didn't know. But he was genuinely thankful. He, he prayed and praised God for another man's ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit there. And he thanked the Lord. And in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, he says this. 
And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We see here prayer for continual, continuing understanding of the gospel mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is praying that you're doing great. I thank God you're doing great. I praise God you're doing great. I thank God you're doing great. But still do greater more. You cannot exhaust the knowledge of God. God has done a fast work in you. He's doing a great work in you. But I'm praying that he continues to do a work in you. A continued work of understanding this great mystery that Paul says is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The Messiah is not just for the Jew. He's for the Gentile too is what Paul was saying. That's the mystery of the gospel. It was hidden in the Old Testament. But now the blessing of Abraham has come to the whole world. That the whole world would be blessed through you. And here it is. The Gentiles are are flocking to the Messiah. They're just hearing the preaching of Christ. And they're leaving their idols. They're leaving their false gods. They're leaving their immorality. And they're coming living holy and blameless lives before God. Continue, he's praying for. He also prays that... They will live a life worthy of the manner of their calling. He's praying for their moral, ethical life. That they will live as outstanding citizens, not just in the kingdom of God, not just within the church, but within the community they lived in. That that people would recognize that something genuinely has happened to you. We know you were a religious man. As a matter of fact, you served ten different gods at one time. But what has changed your life all of a sudden? You're a loving, caring, compassionate, kind Morally upright man now, what has happened to you? Well, the answer is Christ. And that's what Paul is praying for them. This was all part and parcel of his desire to see something. Paul wanted to see them mature in the faith, to become perfect in faith. In a sense as, in a sense as being a, a strong young man and a strong young woman of faith. Listen to chapter 1 again in verse 28. Talking about his own ministry, he says, We proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so we come to the fourth chapter. In chapter 3, Paul was perfecting their life, their mature life in faith by their interpersonal relationships, how they lived in the world morally, how they lived in the, in the church with each other, how they became a forgiving people, a compassionate people, a gentle people. That's being perfect in our Christian life within church membership. But now he's going to teach them to be mature and perfect in their prayer life. He's exhorting them to continue in prayer. Don't be disheartened because you haven't seen answers to prayer. There's nothing more, nothing can kill prayer than not seeing answered prayer right away. But there's nothing more sustaining, encouraging than to be a young believer and to see someone praying for 10, 15, and 20 years and praying with faith. And the reason they pray with faith after a decade and two decades is not just, just because they've seen God answer prayer. 
is because they're praying according to the attributes of God. To get around someone when the world is falling apart and they're calm on the inside, they're secure on the inside, they're steadfast on the inside, and the reason they're secure, calm, and steadfast is because they know that God is faithful. God was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Paul, and most of all, to his son when he raised him from the dead. That's maturity. So we see that prayer is a vital part of the church maturity and individual perfection in the faith. And we're not to think that perfection is sinlessness. It has nothing to do with that. It's it's being mature. It's trusting in God. It's, It's knowing that God is faithful to his word. And then our life lines up with a faithful God. That's maturing in the faith. Uh, James chapter 1 talks about being complete after we go through our trials and tribulations and we count it all joy. God's given us a character. A complete means we're usable to God. A young Christian sometimes can be double-minded. They're all over the place. They, They can't be that usable. But as we mature in Christ, we become more and more usable to the service of God. Inside the church and outside the church. In my family, outside my family. As a husband or as a father. We become complete in Christ. It's a vital part of spiritual life. And the truth of the matter is, I think we all know, that without it, something bad's going to happen. We could possibly never live up to our Christian calling, as Paul says, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord Pleasing to him. Let me give you some thoughts first about prayer before we go into our text. Scripture shows that prayer, or just basically conversation with God, is a natural part of salvation. Never in Scripture is it spoken about something needed to be learned as a question as though a question was asked, what is this thing you call prayer, Paul? Pastor, what is this thing you call prayer? Has anybody ever heard that question asked? The disciples did ask, teach us how to pray. But no one has ever said, what's prayer? Even a child without asking knows intuitively what prayer is. We're talking to God. We're communing with God. We might not have the words to articulate But we know it's a relationship with God. It's natural. It flows out of salvation. It's something we want to do. It's spontaneous. Prayer is spontaneous. Many, I prayed long before I became a Christian. I was a praying man. I was always in trouble. (laughs) Constantly. We know the Miss Foxhole prayers, but... Without a doubt, my back was always against the wall. God answered many a prayer long before I said, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. Jesus, please come into my life. Jesus, give me a new chance. Long before I said, I believe in you, Jesus. Long before I said, I love you, Jesus. God was listening to me. He was concerned for me. I didn't deserve it then. Guess what? I don't deserve it now. But it's something that's intuitive to a life of faith. It is there, it is up and running. 
the disciples recognized something different about Jesus' prayer life when they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. The disciples of John the Baptist learn how to pray. The Pharisees teach their disciples how to pray. You teach us how to pray. There's something different about you. You don't even pray like John the Baptist. John the Baptist prays like an Old Testament prophet. But when you pray, I hear this, Abba Father coming out of your mouth. What is this strange teaching I'm hearing? What is this strange sense I sense when I, when I feel like God, the Father, is right next to me when you pray? And when you pray, you're praying for a kingdom to come. And you're praying for a, a will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. What kind of prayer is this, Jesus? I never heard the Pharisees pray this way. I never heard John the Apostle pray this way. What kind of new prayer is this? You must teach us. How to pray. Jesus prayed New Testament prayer. Prayed to the Father as a son, of which you and I, by adoption, now are. And every true born again believer knows the difference between praying before you were saved and praying when and after you get saved. It is a whole different dimension. The guesswork is out. Prayer is not guessology. It's not, oh, I hope, oh, maybe, if only, and I promise. No, when we pray, we say, Father, in the name of your Son and my Savior Christ, I need you. Big difference. Cannot get misconstrued with the way the rest of the world prays, and even the way we used to pray. When we pray now, when we go to God as Father, we are beseeching the Almighty Creator as our Father, just as He was Christ's Father. He's your God, He's my God. He's now my Father, He is now your Father. Big difference. Big difference. But also for me, I believe in Scripture and in Christian experience that maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but personally for me, I never felt more like a child of God than when I pray. Now I know the the scriptures uh, address us as sons and daughters, but I feel like a child when I pray. I never feel like a full-grown man when I pray. When I pray, I always feel like I'm eight years old, Pouring my heart out to a God that I know genuinely loves me. Always. I feel safe. I feel secure. I feel confident. I feel like I'm in the presence of someone whose yes is yes. And his promises are yay and amen for those who believe. The guesswork is out. I would never go to God thinking when I need a fish, I'm going to get a scorpion. Or when I need bread, I'm going to get a rock. That's the way I used to pray. But I prayed anyway. But now I pray with a confidence that God loves me and he wants to grant me that which I need most. Even when I'm praying, I don't realize what I need most. God does. So we pray. Prayer has its own special language to it where we can pour out all our emotions to God. We can be vulnerable, and we can be real with God. We can be raw. I mean, 
raw. I mean, when you can tell God what you want to tell God, it's, it's like, God, help us if we don't just let it all out to God. I'll tell you right, there's people in this room, I think that's what you need to do. I really think God is calling people to come to me as a son. Come to me as a little daughter. Come to me and just bawl your eyeballs out with all your fears and all your brokenness. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden and I shall give you rest. Sometimes I really, that's what God desires. He desires our brokenness. He desires my fear. He desires my vulnerabilities. He desires my insecurities in this life. When we become like that in the presence of God, things might not change, but I'll tell you something. We'll change. We'll change. Our relationship with God will change. And one day you will start praying like this. Thy will be done. Makes no difference anymore, God. Makes no difference. I'm not going to ad-lib. God, this is what I really want. When you start to mature, you're like, God, I'm going through this, and I want to do this for me, do this for me. I need this, God. But if not, thy will be done. That's when you really know you're maturing as a Christian. Now, I just wanted to share some things before I even got into the text that concern me as a pastor. And hopefully uh, uh, it, it touches your heart. But Paul is not just speaking about arbitrary, spontaneous prayer. He is. But when we use the word steadfast and watchful and thankful, it's qualifying what he means by prayer. It's not just, just get together and pray whatever you want. That's okay. Spontaneous prayer is good. If you have needs, come bring it to us. We'll pray over our needs. That's all fine. It's legitimate. Pastor John read it earlier from Philippians. Make your request and your known, uh, make your request known to the Lord. Totally fine. Totally sufficient. You're allowed to do it, but it's more qualified with these words, thanksgiving, watchful, and uh, continued prayer. So let's get into this a little bit here. There's four components to this prayer, as our title says. It's continued prayer, it's watchful prayer, it's thankful prayer, and it's overflowing prayer. It has four components to it. It's based, on, based around three verbs and a noun. The first one is a verb, it's continue steadfastly, it's one word, it means to persist. Paul is saying, don't lose heart, but persist in your prayer. It means to remain faithful to a person or to a task. Actually, this word often is used in relational language. It's speaking about a relationship. Persist in a relationship. Stay close in the relationship. Stay faithful in the relationship. Don't stop the relationship you have with God in prayer. Persevere and be diligent. Remain faithful to God in prayer. Prayer, if anything, should be natural, heartfelt communion with God. It has something, a quality of an enduring quality, a a daily moment-to-moment 
quality to it. The quality is based on something inside us that we know we're dependent on God. We need God every moment and every day of our life. Paul is saying, be, continue steadfastly as you have. Even though you might not see nothing, be faithful to God. He'll be faithful to you. Remain steadfast in prayer. Stay close to God on a daily experience in prayer with God. You're in a relationship with God now of which prayer is a vital aspect of it. Don't let anybody stop you in your prayer life and if you're not sure, if you have not been following as we've been going through this book, what happened is somebody tried to get into this church and to turn them away from a relationship with Jesus and being in Christ and being hidden with Christ in God to following religious rules and regulations where prayer was cold and was mechanical and it did nothing it didn't move the hand of God and it didn't change the sinner's heart Paul's saying stay persistent in your relational commitment and conversation with God as you have been doing stay there you're in Christ you're hidden with Christ in God stay in it continue to pray continue to Communion with God. Continue your conversations with God. Don't let anything get in the way for God's sake. Don't let anything ever get in the way of your prayer life. That's what he's saying. Often when strange teachings come into people's lives and churches' lives, prayer is one of those things that begins to dry up. Biblical prayer. Paul is touching upon that in this context. Both the quality of heart and constancy of time, a daily prayer, show a strong bond between two people. For a husband and wife to just nod at each other at dinner and just not see each other the rest of the night and the rest of the day and to do that persistently for a long time, you can rest assured that relationship is going to dry up and it's going to die. Paul is speaking relationally. He's not just saying pray for prayer's sake. We're going to watch when we get into watchful what it means. But he's saying for relational sake, stay close to God. That's where the power is. That's where the truth sets you free. Truth united to the person of God and the presence of God sets you free. It keeps you strong. Listen to what Jesus says in John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I are in you. That they also may be in us. How more relational can you get? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Prayer binds believers to God, and prayer binds believers to one another. You can't get away from it. I believe, personally, a lot of people struggle with corporate prayer because of the binding, intimate dynamic it has. I believe people that struggle with intimacy and deep, abiding friendships of being vulnerable one to another will struggle in their prayer life. People I pray with, I'm telling you right now, over the years, I feel close to. I feel close to him in a very, very special way. As we communicate our deepest longings and desires and aspirations and hurts and pains, 
not to one another, but to God in front of each other. To hear my wife pray a certain prayer and and, and hear a friend pray a certain prayer and hear a brother, it, it does something. It's special. That is a binding influence. It strengthens friendships. Paul knew this. Jesus knows it. And so we need to know it too. But he also says it serves as a watchtower. Being watchful in continued, persistent, steadfast prayer. Besides being a relational dynamic binding hearts together and binding us closer to God, it serves as an early warning signal, so to speak, in a believer's life and in the church's life, being watchful in it. Calvin, I think, nails it when he says, I believe is right, and he uses it in a negative. It means, be watchful as not to become cold in heart. Very interesting. Continued prayer then becomes a means, maybe the greatest means of remaining zealous for God. Of keeping that first love with God. I believe personally it does. To keep that childlike faith, that that first moment, that first love experience with God fresh. I never want to lose that. And like I said earlier, I've always, nothing makes me feel more like a child of God than when I'm praying to the Father. Nothing. I feel safe. I feel secure. I believe it is the key of walking in the Spirit. Could someone constantly continue in steadfast, watchful prayer? Continue daily in communion with God, sharing our deepest heart with God, and not walk in the Spirit? Do you think it's that easy just to be overcome by the flesh when you're walking close to God? Does the flesh scream? Absolutely. Does the flesh going to always win? Absolutely not. There is nothing more powerful than overcoming the flesh and walking in the Spirit by continuing steadfast, steadfast, prayer, we're watchful in it. What does that mean? What are we looking around for? Aliens? What are we watching for? It has to do with the whole letter. Continued, steadfast prayer, watching doctrinally in your prayer life, living morally in your prayer life. Understand something. Prayer is based in the book on Christ and His finished work. It's based on uh, on God and His attributes from raising Christ from the dead, which is the greatest characteristic that God says, I'm faithful to my word. If God has not raised Christ from the dead, then we of all people should be most pitied. We're fools. We are here, gathered today. All our eggs are in one basket because Christ was raised from the dead just like the Father had promised. If that is not true, we should be pitied, Paul says. It's based on on Christ, the person, his finished work, on the attributes of God. That's what Paul has spelled out clearly in this epistle. 
So as being watchful, we remain zealous for God in our personal relationship with God. We keep the first love alive. In it, I keep doctrinally pure. Recognize I got to be careful. I want to stay close to God. I want to understand what the truth is. And morally, that I live that upright life that God commands me to live. Prayer. It's all attached to prayer. Hopefully by now you're saying, how in the world could I live without prayer? But it's also thankful prayer. It's not just watchful. It's not just persistent prayer to God. But it's saturated with a thankful heart. I ask the question, could you possibly spend quality time praying to God and not be thankful? Can you possibly pray for five minutes and in that five minutes not have a sense of gratitude to God? How about five seconds? But again, even thankful is not some arbitrary happy feeling. It's, you can feel miserable and be overwhelmed with thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving has nothing to do with our feelings. It has to do with facts. That at the end of the day, my sins are genuinely forgiven. I am a new creation in God. God will never hold my sins against me. Past, present, or future. There is no condemnation for those who are in God. When we pray and we're watchful daily in it, and we're persistent, continued and steadfast prayer. We start to understand what life is all about. We start to get a feeling that it's not about our emotions. It's not about our, our, our daily circumstances. But we're thankful and always reminded of the great blessing of salvation. Always. If every Christian would walk and wake up every day, go to bed every night with one thought, I'm saved. Your life would be different totally different. Thankfulness in prayer turns it easily into praise and brings genuine closeness to God. Things might not change, but we're changing on the inside. I can go to prayer cold and leave warm. I can go indifferent and feel like I love the world. I can go in tired, scared, and fearful, hopeless and powerless and, and, and leave like I'm ready to conquer the world in Christ. Because that's what prayer does. That's what it's meant to do. You don't go into prayer saying, Oh, oh God, oh the world is after me and leave like a sheep. Jesus prayed in Gethsemane with tears of blood coming out of him. But when they came and the betrayers came, he said, Rise up, it's time to go now. Enough is enough. I spent time, quality time, pouring out my heart to God the Father. I'm ready for the cross. I'm ready for Judas. I'm ready for the Pharisees. Come on, let's go. Thy will be done. That's what prayer does. Not sheepishly walking around, oh, my life. No. It changes us on the inside. Thy will be done. The cross was still there. Judas was still there. His betrayers were still there. His disciples were still going to flee him. But he was ready to go. That's what prayer does. We come out hopeful that the future is in God's hands. That the future is in God's hands. Not someone else's hands. You're a Christian. Your life is in the hands of God Not any administration, not any boss. 
Not the doctor. Certainly not Satan. It's in God's hands. And if we truly believe that, we live a different life. And not just that. But when we're thankful, we can leave saying, you know something, life hasn't changed. Life hasn't changed, but I have. To reprioritize my life. Prayer has a balancing component to it. I go into prayer thinking life is all about me. I go into prayer thinking life is all about my circumstances. I go into prayer thinking this is the worst of the worst of the worst. I come out of prayer saying, oh my goodness, I'm just a subject and a servant in the kingdom of God. This type of prayer in a church or a believer is usually overflowing. It's continued steadfast. It's watchful. It has the characteristic of being thankful. But Paul's talking about overflowing prayer now. Paul says also, pray for me. Pray for me, but not just pray for me. Guess where Paul was when he wrote this? He's in jail. He says, I'm a prisoner. He doesn't say, pray for me to get out. I'm ruined in jail. Send me some cash fast. Get me a money order. He says, he says pray that the gospel goes forward. He doesn't even ask for himself. He says, pray that a door would be open and I speak the way I should speak. That makes you feel small, doesn't it? Makes me feel small. Overflowing prayer. Even though Paul is in jail in need of release, in need of some kind of earthly comfort, he could care less. He'd rather fulfill his, fulfill his ministry and he thinks of others before himself. He thinks of God and Christ's glory before his own personal needs. Prayer should reach out to God on behalf of others, on behalf of ministry. Overflowing prayer, when, when you come and you bring a request to God on a continuous, steadfast basis, you're watchful in it. You're growing in it. You're maturing in it. There's a sense of thankfulness in it. Not because things around you have changed, because you're changing. Your eyes are reprioritized. They're, they're focused on what's important in life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, unto your glory and the gospel, period. I get reprioritized. Now all of a sudden, I'm overflowing. I'm in a place now I can actually pray in an effective way for gospel ministry. I can pray in an effective way. I got out of God's way thinking about my life. I said, God, here's my life. Take care of your life. Now I want to enter in and pray like Paul prayed that a door would be open for the gospel and that other people will hear and be saved. Overflowing. <laughs> it's interesting. They could have said, Paul, you're all washed up. You're an old man now. You're in jail. Why don't you just give up? There's more important things to pray for. You're a one-man show. There's certainly more important things to pray for. We're going to pray for you to get out of jail in the gospel ministry. You're, you're falling apart. 
or could have said, why bother? You're the apostle. God has called you. Won't he automatically hear your prayers? You're asking us, a little church, to pray for you? Is God really going to hear us? You're the apostle. You've raised the dead. You saw the risen Christ. You want me to pray for you? Pastor, you really want me to? You're the pastor. You're the elder. You need prayer? You better believe we need prayer. Paul needed prayer. Christ asked his disciples to come and pray with him and tarry in prayer. We need prayer. Do you really need my prayers? Let me move right into application. Let me start with a question. How much time and energy do we focus our prayers on church life? How much time and energy do we focus that your church or our church would be faithful to its call? Do we spend any quality time that a door would be open and, and, and the church would be more effective? That God would bring in new souls. That old souls would not just be saved, but would be sanctified and grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to pray for pastors and other leaders to fulfill their ministry. That's a revealing question. How often have you felt God's closeness in prayer that everything else in life just seemed dim? And almost unimportant because you're so close to God in continual, steadfast, watchful, thankful prayer. What element is missing? Is thankfulness missing? Is persistence missing? Is being watchful missing? Do we have these qualities in our prayer life? Are we continually steadfast? Praying what the scriptures teach us about Christ and his work and his gospel and the attributes of God. Are we consistent with that? Are we watching out for life in that? Are we praying for the ministry in there? Are we thankful what Christ has done? Are those qualities up and operating in our prayer life? Do we come out of prayer with a new sense of priority in our life? That we belong to a bigger picture, there's a a bigger narrative going on than our own personal life, that we belong to the kingdom of God, and we're called to make impact and to serve in the kingdom of God. As a pastor, I have to ask this question, what hinders prayer? What hinders prayer? Because this kind of prayer just mentioned should be natural. But I ask everybody to evaluate themselves. What I just described, or I believe what Paul is describing as prayer, is it part of our church's life? I know it's part of our church's life. Is it part of our individual life? And if it's not, why not? There's one thing I think that really kills a continual, steadfast, watchful, persistent and thankful prayer life and that's guilt 
It's coming from a pastor's heart now. I'm not going to show you ten verses of Scripture. I think guilt will kill anything. A misunderstanding of what Christ has done for us. Remember, Paul doesn't say to this church, the ones who are mature, pray for me. He doesn't say the pastors of the church and the elders of the church, pray for me. But the rest of you have to wait their turn. Does he say that? He speaks to all and says, just pray. You're complete and perfect in Christ. What qualifies someone to pray is not their performance in life. What qualifies any of us to pray is what Christ has sufficiently and effectively done for us. We are perfect in the eyes of God that qualifies us to pray accordingly. And I think some believers are still young. And I think if believers spend more quality time saying, Jesus, wash my feet the way you, you taught me in John 13. I come to you. I know I'm fully washed. I know I'm saved. But you know something? I'm messing up in my life again. And, you know, let me tell you something right now. Please close your eyes and listen to this. There are things in your life now that in 10 years from now, you're still going to be praying over. I'm telling you right now. Amen. I'm going to tell you right now. It doesn't mean you have to be living in it. But it's going to be calling your name. I'm telling you now. Get prepared. Don't wait till it's not calling you. Start praying now. Don't let guilt and a sense of inferiority take away your prayer life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Don't ever let past hurts and pains and sins and failures are saying, well, I haven't done it now. Why should I start all of a sudden? I'm not speaking to your flesh. I'm speaking to the Holy Spirit that presides and resides in every born-again believer. There is something in every born-again believer's heart that's saying, God, liberate me. I want to pray. I want to pray. It's the Holy Spirit's job. More time can be spent on this. But we'll save it for another day. Father, we thank you, God, that you call us to a continued, steadfast, persistent, watchful, overflowing with thanksgiving prayer life, Father God. Not just for ourselves, not just for our local church, God, but gospel ministry in general. That the gospel will change lives. It will save souls, Father God. That opportunities will be given, not just to the local church, but to individual members within the local church to share Christ with other people, Father God. God, I pray you deliver your children, any child that suffers with guilt and condemnation, Father God, that they don't know just how perfect and complete they are in Christ and what qualifies them for a continued, steadfast, watchful, persistent, thankful prayer life that's overflowing is the blood of Jesus Christ, Father God. It has nothing to do with our performance, oh God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you come and you teach us from the inside, Father God, what the Holy Spirit wants to cry within us, Father God. Prayer. Raise us up to pray, I ask. Teach us to continue in steadfast, watchful, thankful prayer in Jesus' name.